Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Dylan Carnival and I am the Browncroft staff and producer of the show. I'm joined today by our host, Peter Englert, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, the New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. And today's guest, we have Marilyn Vansel. Marilyn is the author of Self to Lose, Self to Find, a biblical approach to the nine Enneagram types. She is a spiritual director and a certified Enneagram professional in the narrative tradition. Marilyn has been working with the Enneagrams for over 30 years. And today we're talking about why is everyone talking about Enneagrams? And I'm super excited because I know nothing. Hope to learn a little bit. Peter and John, you're the experts. I'll let you take it away. Well, uh, Marilyn's the expert, but yeah. we're just here. You know, I I read Marilyn's book, uh, Self uh, to Find, Self to Lose. And what I loved about what Marilyn did was I felt like she brought a positive side to this conversation. And let me back up to say, I feel like everybody's talking about the Enneagram. And I have some friends that say, you talk about it way too much. And I've just found it super helpful in understanding there's a narrative that I've been living a way for me to acquire love that this type typing system or whatever we want to call it, this tool has helped me see. So that's kind of where I see this Enneagram. I think it's different than just the Myers-Briggs or the BuzzFeed quiz of what friends co-star do you think you're most like? I just think it brings a lot of value and wherever you are, whether you know nothing about the Enneagram or you're a skeptic, I think this will clear up a lot. John, what do you think? Well, I've been into the Enneagram for about, oh, I don't know, two years now or so. I realize not everybody in our audience is, and hopefully this will be really informative for, for you if you, you haven't. And the person that got me into this uh, Enneagram, none other than our very own Peter Englert sitting right next to me in this very moment. Um, and it has been a really fascinating look into underneath the surface of my life. I think you know, one of the things that we talk about in leadership is one of the most important attributes of successful leadership is really self-awareness. You can't be a, a leader, whether that's organizationally, even, even smaller groups of people, if you aren't self-aware. And for me, the Enneagram has given me a level of self-awareness that I didn't have before. One of one of those ways is looking at the shadow side of who we are and realizing where some of that those patterns are for me that that drive me over and over again. Um, and it does so in this really weird, uncanny way that uh, I don't know of any other personality type quite does. So that's why I'm excited to have Marilyn here with us. I know we both are. And uh, welcome to the Why God Why podcast, Marilyn. Great to have you here. Well, thank you so much. It's a delight. And I'm just always happy to talk about the Enneagram and help people understand it more and just understand how it can be helpful in their life. Yeah. And your new book, you were telling us right before we started this, that your book, yes. you self-published and now Random House has picked it up and they're going to publish right. it. And I would encourage everybody in the listening audience to to go ahead and buy that book because I think it's going to be awesome. Self to lose, self to find is what it's called. And Random House is going to be publishing it. And now you got another book that you're going to be working on about this, too. Exactly. And just so your audience knows, my book is going to be taken off the market in January until Random House has it 
back up on the market. So if you want to get one now, it's a good time. Beautiful. Because it won't be available for a while. So, Beautiful. And then, yes, I'm writing another book about taking the Enneagram to a deeper level. How does it help us tap into freedom? Listen, you know, why are those motivations there? Why are those false beliefs there? What memories are they associated with? How can God heal our our memories our, and do some inner healing? And how is the Enneagram helpful in that process? Wow. Wow. So. Well, this is this is a real treat because not only are you kind of familiar with the Enneagram, you're also someone who deals a lot in spiritual formation with people. Mm-hmm. So this is it, your use of the Enneagram is in that way. So that's a real treat yeah. for us. Um, mm-hmm. Let's OK, I'm, let's start from square zero. Uh, because a lot of our listening audience, they're going, what are they even talking about right now? This mm-hmm. They keep on saying mm-hmm. this weird word, Enneagram. Uh, what, it, can you give us a baseline? What are we talking about here? You bet. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. That's such a great, people, that's such a weird word. Yeah. So Ennea means nine. Gram is drawing. Ennea, in the Greek, it means nine. And drawing so enneagram is like diagram but enneagram um so there and it's it's formed around a circle and there are nine different personality patterns represented by those nine types nine ways of being nine ways of uh just inner focus inner motivations um and it's like um Peter said, it's different than the Myers-Briggs, it's different than Strength Finders, which a lot of that focuses on outward behavior, but this focuses on the inner behavior, or the inner motivations, I should say, the inner story that really sometimes we're not even aware is operating so much in our life. So Mm. um, so it's nine patterns, nine ways of being. I like to, you know, people worry about being put in a box, um, but this is... So these, this is, these are descriptions, not definitions of people. Mm. And we're complex and everybody's their own unique person. But there are these nine pretty basic patterns of beliefs, of motivations that the Enneagram reveals. And so um, it's very helpful. And like you said, um, it's a way of being self-aware a tool for self-observation, then it's a tool that, it's just a tool. It's not the answer. Right. Not, you know, the golden key to unlock the mystery of who you are, mm-hmm. but it is a really insightful, profound tool. So do, does anybody know where this comes from, the Enneagram? Like, w- well, the, where I've heard different things, different places. Everybody's got an opinion. Mm-hmm. Do, in your research, right. do you know? Yeah, and well, I don't know either because yeah. it's not been a straight path. It does. It wasn't. It wasn't founded by someone like the Myers and the Briggs. Mm. It founded the Myers Briggs, or the Strength Finders has a particular group of people that put that together. Um, but my um, my understanding is that the roots of it, but not really the Enneagram, goes back to the desert fathers and mothers who were meeting with people, kind of the original spiritual directors. They were out in the desert. They were meeting with people who wanted to know about their life with God. And they kept noticing that people had different personality distractions that kept them from that. And so from that, that they um, recognized eight patterns 
And they actually were common to everyone. Hmm. And from that, they, the seven deadly sins of the Catholic tradition were, or just um, named, I guess is the right word. Huh. But it wasn't until centuries later that those passions, those seven deadly sins were placed on the Enneagram. Um, and with different spiritual teachers, different personnel or psychology experts, it just kind of evolved into the thing it is today. And it's still evolving and it's not owned by anyone. So um, people can use it however they want or interpret it however they want. But the basics of it are in the last 40 years have been the same. You know, before we go in the description of the types, because I think that that's going to be the meat of this interview, um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the skeptics that are listening to it. So, you know, we probably yeah. encounter people, anything that's trendy, we shouldn't touch. Um, you know, is the Enneagram close to, you know, I've heard people say, is it really a horoscope? Um, and, you know, yeah. I, I'm thinking about all of this stuff that's kind of being said, you know. For the skeptics out there, how would you respond to them of just engaging this tool or even if there's someone in their life that loves the Enneagram and finds it helpful, how can they be at least not someone that completely throws the bucket over the fire? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. And I was cautious at first when I saw this word and saw this symbol, I was like, this is new age stuff and I am not interested. That was 30 years ago. And, but I, someone gave us some cassette tapes and I listened to them. <clears throat> my husband and I both listened to them. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so true of who I am. And this helped my husband and I recognize how we see life so differently in our, our kind of constant arguments were really wrapped up up and how we were viewing the world and thinking the other person should see it our way. And it, our conflict made sense. And so it's just a tool. Mm -hmm. It, you know, I am very cautious of anybody who makes it a spiritual or a sacred tool or it's the only answer. Like I said earlier, that is some key to unlock the mysteries of who we are. It's, it's just a tool and it's very insightful, just like other tools are, but this one gets down to a deeper level. So you have to hold it with that um, lightness instead mm. of idolizing it or depending on it. And I think right now with so much, it's so popular that people have kind of gone overboard mm. with thinking, listening to more and more podcasts, more books, more this, more this. It's what are they looking for? They're looking for Jesus. They're looking for healing. They're looking for being understood, they're looking for connection. It's and so all those human needs we have in the Enneagram just kind of is, has filled into this void of lack of connection um, that we're experiencing with all with just the way we are right now with social media and such. And I think people are also longing for more of a relationship with God and with themselves than just understanding theology. Mm. having the concepts right they're looking for more and i think that's why it kind of just build in this space that people were hungry for yeah that makes so but much you sense have to hold it lightly it's not it's it, yeah yeah it's not a horoscope 
It's not the answer. I love how refreshing that is, that someone that's written a book on it says, you know, it's not everything. It's it's good, though. It's good. I think that's super yeah. refreshing. I think that's great. Um, so let's let's go there. Let's let's kind of go through the different types and allow okay. people maybe to explore that. Let's kind of uh, again, let's assume that people don't have a deep working knowledge of this. Um, if you do, maybe some of this will be refresher. Maybe some of it will be new, though, too, as well. Mm -hmm. um, but but mm -hmm. a lot of people don't. So let's talk about to those people. From what I understand, anyway, there's there's some signs of health in the Enneagram, like things that mm -hmm. for each type that you go, this is you at your best. And also right. the shadow mm -hmm. side of like of like, wow, this is where you could go at your darkest moments kind of a deal. Um, maybe right. maybe just to set people up well, like, what do you think the best kind of run through the types for us and go, this is what okay. it would look like in kind of your best self kind of in that mm -hmm. type of that type? Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you set it up that way, because that was the emphasis of my book that I really wanted to um, make clear is I believe we're all created in God's image. We are a reflection of God's image. We aren't God, mm -hmm. but he put, he's imprinted on us his character. And I believe each one of us are a unique reflection of a, a particular attribute of God that's just our sweet spot. Mm. It's our genius. It's how we're wired. It's the way we've always been. And then we were in the world. We had to function in the world as little people. And figure out, and we read the clues. Oh, I get a lot of affirmation if I'm like this, so I need to keep being like this. Mm. Or, oh, I get with, I feel with love withheld from me, or I'm punished, or I'm not, I'm not seen, or whatever messages we perceived. And then we go, oh, I can't be like that. Let's have this mixed message of who we are. And I call it that we have an authentic self. And then we have an adapted self. Mm. I like what you said with the shadow side and then our genius. And, you know, the scriptures talk about two selves. Mm. So the old self and the new self. I just call it the authentic self and the adapted self. So I'm happy to go around the nine types. Yeah. There's a lot to the structure of the Enneagram, but I'm just going to start in the, uh, they're identified by numbers. And I'm just going to start with one because that seems to make the most sense to the people who think I should start with one. Right. <laughs> I usually start with eight because of the way some of the other elements of the, of, of it, of the structure, but um, one makes sense. So I'm married so to a one. So uh, I can tell okay. you that ones probably appreciate you starting with one just because of the structure of it. It probably, you know, seems right to them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're used to that. Yeah. Okay, so um, and I so the type one, they are a reflection of God's goodness and rightness. Mm. That there is order in the world, there's completeness in the world, there is rightness. There's a, a rightness about life that the type ones are hardwired. They they just want to experience that they want to and they want to express it in the world. All of these types they want to experience the image of God in them, and they want to express it in the world. And so the type ones want to experience that moment of perfection, mm. that moment of completeness. And when they feel it, they just feel there's an aliveness 
about mm. in their insides that, oh, oh, that's it. That's it. They tap into the goodness and the perfection of God. And then, so that's a beauty. So they, at their best, they're, they're improving the world. They want to mm. make the world a better place. They see things that are wrong and they want to fix them. They see people that hurt and they want to fix that. They see systems, they want to fix them. Mm. And they also see that in themselves. And, you know, on one side, that's a good thing and it's a beautiful thing. And then it becomes distorted into this message. Little person picked up, oh, I, I, people measure me. I get tests back and I miss things. And, oh, there's red marks on my paper. People are measuring how I fall short. Mm. And then, oh, I get a lot of attention for being a good person, being a good girl, good boy. So they develop this false little belief that. I'm not worthy if I'm not perfect. Mm. I, and so they, it distorts into this needing to perfect everything, fix everything because it grates against them and, and they want to perfect you. Mm. <laughs> they want to perfect themselves. And so they become the focus of attention then is always on what's wrong, what's bad, what needs to be fixed. And then they feel the burden that why is it up to me to fix it? And that, which creates some resentment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's kind yeah. of over. Wow. Wow. And that's just starting at ones. So that's, that's, yeah. that's unbelievable. I feel like there's so many questions in that, but I'm not going to get into them right now. I'm just going to let you go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> two. Okay. Here, here we, we go. go. That's right. That's it's Peter and awkward me. When I'm talking to people and telling them their shadow side. Yeah, feel free. We already know it. So, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't know it all. That This is fun. This is great. All right. So then we have the type two. They are hardwired. They are a reflection of God's unconditional love and nurture. So then in their very being, they are a reflection, you know, they're a reflection of God's heart that every person would be loved, to know they're loved, unconditionally and that all their needs are met. So that's the heart of God in a type two. And so they, they want to experience that deep unconditional love from God themselves and they want to share it with the world. And so they're always know they have an attunement to other people's needs. How can they help? What, what, how can they be an expression of God by helping others? Yeah. which is beautiful. And so they're very nurturing and hospitable and caring and they buy wonderful gifts for people. It's like, they just know um, what people need intuitively. Mm-hmm. And so the message for them, the little people started, they were affirmed for being so selfless and so caring and so nice to everyone. And say, Oh, I need to be that way all the time. I'm loved when I do that. But then if there was any a a time, which there probably was when they did something that hurt people, then they were shamed. Like, oh, shame on you. Um, That was very selfish. And to hear that is like the the insult to their very person, their very imprint of God. So they... I only can care for other people. I should only care for the people. And so they, that developed in a need to be needed. Mm. So they, their focus of intention is on what do people need and they avoid their own needs. Like that's not okay to care for yourself. So they can overdo rescuing. They overdo making love happen. They can, you know, they, 
so they suffer in that way, feeling like it's up to them to take care of everybody. And how could they possibly know everybody's needs in the whole wide world? Mm. So they can't. So they just feel this burden to to take care of them. So there's such a pride around that, that they know how to take care of people, but also that they don't have these needs themselves. And so you can see where that would be create a difficulty for them. I could theoretically I could see that, how, how that would happen, but. <laughs> Come on, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and we want to make sure we get through all of these, but I'll, I'll just kind of share the moment I knew I was a two, my sister had cancer and mm. I was like three. And the story my parents mm. tell me is she was throwing up after chemo and I, as a three-year-old, was standing over the garbage can pretending to throw wow. up with her. Mm. And oh wow! So you yeah. like I I look at that and I see the beauty of what you just said, God's love. But I also see this little boy trying to be the the kid that becomes a man that's trying to throw up next to everybody that throws up. And as you said, mm. that's my mess there. Yeah, that's, yeah, see, so that was so early on. That was who you were mm. um, in your natural genius state. That's, you were expressing the heart of God for your sister. And then all of those things become distortions. Mm. And it really is a way that we recreate the image of God that's been imprinted on us through our own efforts, through mm. our own ways of meeting our own needs. And if we can see it that way, we can appreciate even when we see our shadow side, we can go, oh, I'm trying to recreate love. Mm. I'm trying to do this on my own way. But no, this God's love in me that is wanting to express itself. Mm. And there will always, type twos will always be wonderful cares of people. It just, in their health, they, there aren't any strings attached to their own identity. Mm. Well, in that case, let's move to type three because I, I don't know if I want to talk about that. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. But the yeah, whole strings attached okay. thing. Yeah. 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 So again, these are all attachments that we've had attachments to our identity and think, and it's you know, oftentimes it's a false identity. Mm. Um, so type three, they are expression of God's hope and radiance. They see a better like this could be better. Let's work at being better. So they're very future oriented visionary. Um, they see it's different than improving. Like the one would be improving. It's this casting this grand vision, like let's go there. Let's do this. Let's make this happen because this, this is optimizing ourselves. This mm -hmm. is optimizing and making a difference in the world. And so this um, expression of hope and radiance is, is really seen in their hope for other people. They don't see anyone as beyond hope. Mm. And and they want to champion people to be their best selves. And they want to be their best selves. And then radiance is, um, what I love about radiance is that they see, this is God's heart, that everybody is a star. Mm. Everybody deserves to be a star, to shine and to be reach their full potential. So threes love working it, work, working for that and, and like to bring people along to potential change in the world too. Um, and then the distortion is when they were little, they got you, they like the applause. They like the, 
they like to perform. They realized they got a lot of love and attention if they performed. They were singled out when they performed. And then they also, any chance of failure felt like they were, they lost some of their own radiance. And so failure is very difficult. So somewhere along the way, it was a feeling like, well, I have to, I have to um, perform well to reach my potential and to be noticed and for people to admire me. And so they have a need to appear successful. It's how am I seen through the eyes of others? Mm. And so type threes can get trapped in playing a role that is that they think will make them look good and to impress others because they feel like that's then the message of their radiance. Mm. But it's again, recreating their value by performing well and having things to brag about, having things to accomplish you know, accomplishments and don't you think I'm something special now because I've done this. And so it becomes, it becomes a trap mm. of needing to, to have something going into, and to, and to uh, have goals and tasks and always have a vision and always have a role, always have something to do because they don't know, it's hard for them to know who they are without that. Mm. Seems to so, me that it would be tough to be vulnerable if that was, if, if you were living in that. Yeah. yeah, and they have a hard time connecting with their own heart um, and their own feelings. And so they can really, you know, their their trap is, um, their passion is called deceit because they can just kind of spin things and not let you see the true story because it's all got to look good. Mm. I mean, and this is in the unhealthy way. Um, and they're deceitful with themselves and their own limitations and their fear of, of not looking good or being incompetent. So they think they can do it all. Mm. They, they think, you know, they try to do it all anyway in whatever circumstance they're in, they can figure out how to make themselves be successful. That's an unhealthy, they're unhealthy. Son. So speaking of feelings, let's uh, go to the type four then. Yeah. Well, we're, we're cutting out a lot. I don't know if you know that. Uh, I do. So, I do. The good news to. is we'll, uh, okay. we'll, we'll re-edit that. Uh, luckily, it was at a good spot. So we'll cut okay. in. Dave's our editor. Dave? Great. Speaking of feelings, let's talk about type four. Yes, type four. Okay, these type fours are a reflection of God's depth, God's creativity, and God's beauty. So they, they have more words and you could say a lot more about the type fours. So they are wired to see, to find uh, meaning in everything and see the extraordinariness of creation, of people, of memories, of, of experiences. They just want to soak out all, soak up all the depth of it. And about being so unsearchable, how could we even know the depth of God um, and the depth of meaning of life? So the type four wants to tap into that. It's like this deep well in them, and they want to express it and, ex and experience it for themselves. And so um, often they're stereotyped as being the artists, being the artistic ones, but that doesn't mean that all artists are type fours. So that's where we can be dangerous mm. about putting artists into that four category because that's not true but there's an artistry about fours even if they don't do the classic arts but they're they're just artistic in the way they talk but it, and i see it as they're trying to express this depth of god in them 
that they're wired, they're in tune to in some way that is beyond words. And that's why they paint a picture or write a poem or do a dance or something that can express it in a way that is beyond just our rationality, you know, and, and our just words. Um, so, and they, they understand the uniqueness of each person, the creativity, the originality of themselves and other people. But somehow along the way, they lost track of their uniqueness mm-hmm. because they had to fit in. They had to blend in. Or, they, or they, they either felt like they got lost in having to blend in and be like everybody else, or they felt left out because they saw, a, they saw things that other kids didn't see. They didn't really want to play on the playground, play, you know, kickball. They wanted to go look at the flowers or look at something of more meaning. And so they felt left out too. Um, and so for them, it's a, it's this quest to stand out in some way, to be special. The message being, if I don't stand out, I'm not, I, you know, I won't, I will, I don't exist or I don't, I won't be noticed. So they work hard at be over, they can overdo trying to be special, trying to be unique, trying to be different. But at the same time, they have this outside looking in envy that looks at other people and see, feels like they, other people have everything they, they have that need to be fulfilled and satisfied in life. But somehow there's something missing in them or missing in their life. So their focus of attention is on what is missing for me to be fulfilled and happy. Mm. So it could be, or what didn't I get when I was little? Like, oh, if only my parents hadn't done a divorce, or if only I'd gone to a different school, if only that, only, or if only I had, if only I had. So there's a lack of contentment with what they do have. It just doesn't feel like it's enough to be fulfilled. And so their growth is to come to a place of contentment. Like, wow, my life is extraordinary. I'm extraordinary. I don't have to work at trying to be extraordinary. Um, and, they, you know, just they have such deep feelings, such a rich emotional life. And they suffer because not everybody else understands them. So they can feel they can feel misunderstood pretty easily. And so, yeah, so. what I hear you describing is kind of like where a two might be so others focused that, right. that they kind of lose themselves in that. Like a four uh-huh. might be so focused inwardly, if they're not careful, that they lose kind of touch yeah. with the outside. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Yes, they are, they're definitely more self-absorbed, self-oriented, self-absorbed, their feelings. And, and really their identity is I am my feelings mm. and they want to be authentic. And so if they're feeling sad... They are a sad person. It's like they're attached to their feelings being their identity. And so that you can imagine that shifts all the time. So that's why they appear moody. But for them, they're just living in the moment of the emotion that they're having or the experience they're having. Gotcha. Um, so, gotcha. but they have, they're not really sure who they are without your, their feelings. So that could be hard. Wow. That was a really good description. And, um, so yeah, let's uh let's hear about type five right now. This is okay. great. This is great. So unlike the four, the five lives in their head. So they are a reflection of God's wisdom, of God's insight, of God's perception, like understanding how it all works together. And wisdom is really about how to live well. 
And so type fives like to gather information. They like to know things. They, they want that, uh, what, they're, what they're wanting to experience is this inner illumination of, oh, I get it. That, that you know, but to, for them, it's connecting the dots in the mind, like connecting data, connecting how to make sense of the world. Um, and But they, li- they love that moment of, of knowing, of knowing something, of getting something. Um, so they're usually... Um, they're more on. They tend to be more the more introverted side because they just like to stay in their space and understand things from a rational point of view. Very objective. They observe. They're like putting things together in their mind. Like this makes sense here, and this makes sense here. How do they make sense together? And how does that inform us to live wisely, mm. to have wisdom? Um. So they, um probably had a lot of affirmation about being smart and quick to learn and curious when they were little, but also because life is not complete. We can't, for them, it was that, uh, wanting to check out, kind of check out and find safety in knowledge rather than engagement. So not everything can be understood. And so they, they, Feel, felt, can feel overwhelmed by life, especially emotions. And they tend to analyze their emotions. They don't feel their emotions because it's overwhelming. Um, and it's not always rational, as we know. Um, what else could I say? So their, their desire is to perceive and to know and to not look foolish, to be prepared, to have things ready, to always have an answer. And, to, and they really protect their privacy because they have the sense that they may run out, mm. that they will empty out, like life will demand too much from them. And so, and they understand they don't have their limits on their energy and time and resources and, and energy, you know, um, life in general. And so they tend to keep that all to themselves. They with, withhold their, themselves to protect themselves. Wow. And that can be emotional to people around them can feel like they, can't get it's hard to get close to them at an emotional level you know they're reserving you know the interesting thing i find that you said i'm I'm just imagining um again the enneagram is not about behavior it's about motivation but i'm imagining a one a three and a five in a room and they're trying to work on a project and a three very different yeah, yeah a three is like here's the goal what's the quickest way to get there a one mm-hmm. is kind of saying we have this 10 step outline process. We need to follow that. Well, there's a five that says, man, I, I really want to research this more. We don't have enough information. Mm-hmm. And like, even mm-hmm. now, as you're talking, we're only five types in, but you can kind of see just these conversations that are happening where, you know, all of a sudden you have a five that probably, you know, in their healthiest state, they can be able to say, okay, I've read seven books, that's probably enough. But in their unhealthy state, mm-hmm. it's like, no, I've read 20 books and that's do still I not enough. En- do I know enough? Yeah. 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 Are we missing something here? And so they're slower to move. And so you can see, I mean, that's a great illustration, Peter, how this knowing each other's types and motivations can help us in relationships and on a team. And, you know, church, I love working with church staff 
to help them understand each other because they need to work collectively together for their greater mission. Mm-hmm. But if they're all, if they're always criticizing, you move too slow or you move too fast or, you know, um, you're not doing this right or all those things, then it slows things down. So. What do you think, yeah. uh, and, and we could probably do this with every type, but I'm just picking out this one just because it interests me because I feel like I'm so different than a five, like a two and a five. Mm-hmm. I feel, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I, I feel very different. What angers, what would bring a five, make a five really angry? Oh, wow. Um, that probably isn't an emotion that they are, that familiar uh, with they uh, will just retreat when things feel like things are getting out of hand they'll just retreat oh, back. Okay. but they could also be angry about something that's misunderstood or wrong you know that something has been wrongly um, um, presented that's not factual that's not correct that isn't the whole picture um, they could be frustrated with that. Sure, sure. That makes sense. So, that makes sense. Well, it's, but it's uh, scary for them yeah. to to be part of chaos mm-hmm. <laughs> or uncertainty. Right. Well, well. Speaking of a uh, man, I, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I'm like the DJ that has all the cheesy jokes on this. But, Go for yeah, it. But, yeah. speak, but speaking of uncertainty, um, type six. Let's yes. go there. Yeah. Type six. Leading right in to type six. So they are a reflection of God's faithfulness, God's loyalty. So God is, we can rely on the fact that God is always faithful. No Mm. matter what's going on, the ground beneath our very being is God's faithfulness Mm. and God's loyalty to us and sticks with us. So the type six is attuned to that and so they are reliable responsible you can count what they say they're going to do they want they like the path that is certain and they feel they want guidance and they're loyal they stick with people they stick with institutions they stick with their work they stick with their family um they will remain a loyal friend for life. Um, so it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, you talked about, Peter, the scenario of a one, three, and five being in a room on a project. Well, a six will see the loopholes. They'll notice uh, what will go wrong um, because they want it to have a good result in the end. And so they'll, the three may be, you know, talking about all these things we're going to do. And the six is talking about saying, well, you know what? There's going to be a problem with that. We don't have enough chairs mm. <laughs> or we don't have, you know, who's going to bring that of what could go and let's prepare for the worst. Let's prepare for all those contingencies, which is a good thing, but it's also a, it's a, you know, blessing and it's a curse for them because they want certainty. They want this to, they want to know what they can count on. And early on in life, they figured out that life is dangerous that you can't be protected from everything. And they, and they started to question, who do I trust? And maybe people let them down and they realized, Oh, I was counting on that person and they let me down. Who do I trust? So they find themselves, they want to align themselves with people they can trust that will tell them how to live. 
because they're looking for certainty. They're looking for security. Um, and they see worst case scenario, like what could go wrong? Let's plan for it. Now, funny thing is, uh, that was really helpful for me. I was presenting this at a women's group with a women's group. And I said, worst case scenario. And this woman raised her hand. She goes, wait, wait, wait a minute. Um, I don't relate to that. I I know I'm a type six, but I don't think worst case scenario. And I was like, really? Well, tell us. She goes, I think best case scenario. She goes, I will think of everything that could possibly go wrong and I'll make plans for it. So in the end, we have the best case scenario. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that, I mean, I was like, did you listen to what you said? But at the same time, for her, that creates, why wouldn't you do that? It feels like common sense, mm. but it's paralyzing. It could be, you know, they, they're fearful. They don't want to risk things. They, they got to make sure everything's in place. And it creates a real sense of insecurity for them when they don't know enough. And they're afraid they'll be um, caught off guard or defenseless. Um, and so they tend to overly identify and rely on other people to be their authority. Mm. There's a, as a, then a counterphobic six that pushes against authority, but it comes from the same place of, I need to know that I can trust you, but so I'm going to challenge you. Mm. I'm going to do the scary thing and challenge you, but please, please stay steady for me. Kind of, yeah, there's more to it, a little more to it than that. But, um, so yeah, that's the type Six. Did I cover enough there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Our former producer, Harry, is a type six or identifies as a type mm-hmm. six. And mm-hmm. the thing about Harry is whenever I talked with him, like it took me a while to learn. Like when I had the Enneagram, I used to think he was questioning everything I was talking about. But yeah. he, but that was his love language to me. Uh, let me repeat that because I must have cut out with you. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, you did. Harry, uh, Harry would question everything that I would do. And I have a couple other sixes. And I, when, when that came in, I began to realize that was their love language to help me. Like if you go down this road and the other thing is that I think is funny about that is sixes in worst case scenarios are the least anxious because they've thought about everything. Right. That's true. It's true. Yes. But they do have this free floating angst, free floating anxiety that, uh, you know, they just feel like they've got to always be prepared. They've got to be ready. They've got to to know what's going to happen. And they can come across this challenging authority, but they're really just looking for certainty. Like, tell me what I can count on. But people in authority over them can feel like they're, they're questioning them in a critical way, but they're really just trying to find out what, what is reliable because they're so reliable. Mm. Um, and they want that reliability. They, uh, they want to bet on the horses after the race. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, and going to the contrast, uh, let's talk about type sevens. <laughs> you type are the Casey Canem of the Enneagram. Yeah. The, the Casey Canem, right? The, hold on. Or I mean, Chase, yeah, Chase. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. On to the next. On to the next. <laughs> On to the next. Yeah. Casey Keenum. So 
No, what? No, Kanem. Yeah. I don't know. Kasem. Kasem. That's it. I'm thinking of the quarterback for the Vikings. Sorry, everybody. There you go. I got my quarterbacks and my disc jockeys uh, confused. All right, there Speaking it is. Of all Casey the- Kasem. Go ahead, Marilyn. Yeah, yeah. Okay, speaking of next, um, (laughs) the type seven is always thinking what's next. They are a reflection of God's joy and God's abundance. There are so many possibilities in life. There are so many opportunities, and they want to just live it to the full. So they understand the abundance of God, of experiencing God, of life and relationships and food and the world and they want it. They just want to see it all. And so it's, it's beautiful. And with this sense of joy and happiness and optimism, um, so type seven little person, Oh, it was so painful to be trapped in a, uh, school or seat at school when they could have been playing outside. There was a sense of they lost freedom. They, they, there was a, a grief of that, of losing freedom when they had to be responsible and when they had to do things that were boring and mundane and when there's so much life to live. Um, so they would have pictures, whether it's in their minds or whether it actually was, because they have a great idea of what's next. So the seven. Um, is always looking at what's next. So again, they're very future oriented, similar to the three, but in a different way. It's just like, what's the next adventure? What's the next plan? And they feel very anxious when they don't know what's next. When they mm-hmm. don't, and they don't have a way out. Of um, um, maybe if they get trapped in a conversation they don't want to be part of, they're trying to escape it because they it feels painful. It feels awful. It feels ugh. You know, there's so much out there. And so they have this sense of um, their passion is gluttony or insatiability. And you think about gluttony with food. It's not about the food. It's about not having enough. I want more. I want more. I want more. So the sevens have this problem with never being satisfied because there's always so much else, so many other things to do. So to have to say no to things is painful for them. And so they have a hard time deciding. They have a hard time committing um, to things because they're eliminating other options for them. Now, when they're committed, they're committed, but um, it's a process for them Mm -hmm. to get to that. Um, What else could I say? And they really avoid pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and they run away from that in others and I think ultimately it's the pain and suffering of their own lives. And so they just don't, they just kind of, they'll often say, Oh yeah, I've dealt with that. Mm-hmm. If it was, if they have, if they had a painful childhood or whatever, um, they will say, Oh yeah, I've dealt with that. I'm okay now because they want to be okay. They just want to be okay. It's okay. Let's just go have a drink, you know, let's go, you know, do something fun instead of being caught in a web of sadness or, pain or suffering but mm-hmm. their growth is then to come back to a sense of inner joy true inner joy sober joy that's based on reality of life and it's not just happiness found in external experiences i mean that's the life for them is my happiness is found out there and things i plan and my experiences they have rather than that deep abiding joy that they're hardwired to to know and that it's not based on their experiences or 
all the options that are open to them. It's based on right now. Right now is enough. It's abundant enough right here, right now. Mm. And to see that is a big step of growth for them. That 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 makes me think about the, the journey of a seven in their life. Do you, do you do you think that sometimes that that gluttony can that come from somebody not experiencing a lot in their youth, like having a lack of in uh, you know as they're growing up, you know, and 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 it's almost like I need to have more in order to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. taken care of. Uh, similar to the six, maybe with security in in that way. Mm-hmm. It, does that resonate? No, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it does. I mean, one person I interviewed for my book said that he lived in a very boring, mundane household. His parents would just talk about boring things, but he would, and he would create adventures all the time. It was his out in the forest with his friends and they'd, you know, imagine pirate ships and they'd imagine then he'd have to come inside and do his homework <laughs> and he would just hate it, mm-hmm. you know, and he'd lock himself in his room and, and then his mother gave him a sticker book of, uh, those seven wonders of the world or, and he was like, what? <laughs> These all exist somewhere else. And I've got to see them and he really has seen them, but it's like an escape. It was in a way of escaping. Something was boring and limiting. Mm. They just don't want to be limited. Mm. So they, they tend to escape. So and yeah. they all escape their own pain. Yeah. And, and I feel like the sevens that I encounter and you can tell me this, I feel like it's one of the only types that when people find out that they're sevens, like they're excited about. I feel like every- they go, and the problem is what? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, and and yes, there. I always say seven. They never come to workshops in the first place because, especially if it's more than two hours, and they're always like, "I don't get what the problem is." <laughs> so I'm living life to the full. Why wouldn't you all want to do that? Yeah. Oh man. Well. Yeah. Uh- no, that's that, that's a great bow on that. So let's let's talk about the eights now. Sure. So the eight, they are a reflection of God's power and God's protection. So they, they just and passionate. Hey, Marilyn. People that understand Marilyn, power. Marilyn, we lost yeah. you for a little bit there. Can you start over with the eight? Uh, just start from sure. the beginning. Go right ahead. Good. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the eight, they are a reflection of God's power and God's protection. And it's the, it's this dynamic, passion, intense energy that eights embody. And it really comes from, you think about power, the word for power in the scriptures is dunamis or dynamite. And it's not, power is a hard word right now in our culture. So it's not this top-down oppressive power that is misused power, but it's the undergirding, let's make things happen, activating power, creative power. And they understand power and they're attuned. What's so beautiful about the eights is they believe the heart of God for them is that everybody should have power over their own lives and over mm-hmm. their own destiny. Every, nobody should be oppressed. Nobody should be uh, vulnerable. Nobody should be taken advantage of. And so they work very tirelessly to empower others. And they see that. They like to work with the oppressed. They like to work with the 
the, those who don't have power and because it comes from belief that they deserve to have power mm-hmm. and control and not be taken advantage of. So it's a be- that's that protection. They're protecting the vulnerable, the weak, the down and out. Um, and so you can imagine type th- two little, no, type eight, sorry, person, little person was full of, was competitive and energetic and wanted to win and pushed, you know, and maybe was told, you're too much, calm down, stop it. You're, you know, you're pushing everybody's buttons. <laughs> and so they felt like they had to rein it in and that something was not appreciated about that. Um, and also, they say inside this bravado of type eights who take a stand, who stand tall, who are intense um, and tough, that inside is a wounded little boy or, or little girl mm-hmm. that's protecting themselves, that learn to protect themselves. And the way they protected themselves was to be strong and tough and don't mess with me. And here's my stand. Here's who I am. Deal with it. Mm. Um, kind of personality and so they can be misunderstood and intimidating and kind of can go roughshod over people because they know what they want and they want to go after it um, but at the same time they have this tender heart that wants to protect so I always kind of see them as the lion and the lamb mm. all in one you know embody because there's this tender heart but they just have to be strong and tough mm. so they won't be hurt themselves they're protecting themselves against being hurt or vulnerable Um so um, they it can be shameless in a lot of ways. Like for the six, if they see a no trespassing sign or the one, they go, we don't trespass. That sign says we don't trespass. The eight goes trespass. <laughs> well, what's behind this sign? I'm going to go see it. There's just <laughs> kind of like the rules don't apply to them. Yeah. And there's they can be boundaryless in a lot of ways. And that can be a challenge for them too. Mm. So, you know, it, it sounds a lot like this is the vehement defender against bullies that can become yeah. the bully. It's true. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But My, they, yeah. yeah. So there's that two sides of them that operate and they struggle with that, you know, and I, the AIDS I've talked to, it's like they're a ticking time bomb. If they have to be, patient or they see injustice they they just want to do something and if they're not allowed to or if it's not acceptable it's like it's just power packed inside of them Mm. but at the same time they um they have this tender heart that no people don't see they i talked to an eight the other day and she said I didn't think I was coming across strong but everybody said I was too strong I mean they don't even their energy is so big it's misunderstood (laughs) Mm. but they have a really hard time showing their underbelly their soft underbelly because people just don't treat it very you know and don't always treat it very well because they think they're tough and strong Mm. and so they they have a hard time showing their tender side Mm. yeah my yeah my my son identifies we did this as a family and my son identifies as an eight and uh when he first looked at this, his, his words were, I win, I'm an eight, I win. (laughs) Uh, so that was, that, that was his way of interpreting that. Uh, but the power dynamic, but, uh, he also, yeah, one of the most sensitive kids that you'll ever want to meet in your life. Like just so sensitive. I have have a a son that's an eight too. And so both of those things are so, 
embodied in them. Yeah, that yeah. it can be confusing living with an eight, I think a little bit for me, <laughs> because I'm like, well, I thought you were this way. Hold on. No, now you're this way. Oh, no, I don't know how to deal with that. Um, you know, and to, for somebody <laughs> who's always trying to adjust to how the energy is of that other person, I found myself it's having true. to yeah. step back from that a little bit and be <laughs> like my own individual. Yeah. So that's yeah. fascinating in my journey, trying to learn how to it's it's it really forced me to grow. And the Enneagram actually gave me some some words to that. So that's actually been really helpful for me in that. And then uh, so the beautiful way to bring peace. Let's mm. talk about nines. And the best part about this is, Marilyn, you said you identify as a nine. So I do identify as a nine. So um, so they are a reflection of God's peace and harmony and oneness. So what they want to experience is unity, union, harmony, um, oneness. And so their belief, and they just feel it, is that we're all connected in some way. Even in all the diversity, what's our common thread? Can we find the common thread? Let's find the common thread. Instead of, you know, fighting over the things that we differ on, let's find what we agree on. And so they make great mediators. They make great... They can hear all sides and they can see all sides. Like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. So all together, um, so that's how they make good mediators. They want to find peace. They want to be the peacemakers. Um, so they're usually very calm and receptive and open. Not, and nines don't really have a hidden agenda, which people don't, people don't, it's hard to believe that uh, because most people do, but for them, it's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and, um, so part of the, the, the false belief for them is that they, in the big picture of the harm of the symphony of life, that everybody else's instrument matters, but theirs doesn't. Mm. So they be to go along, to get along their belief. You know, I just need to go along to get, go along to get along, to keep peace, to keep harmony. And if I cause a disturbance, I'm going to be separated. If they feel the disconnect, not so much. I won't be loved. It's just like we, that separation happens, which is like, and so painful because they want connection. They want to be unified. And so they learned early on, if I don't speak up, if I don't say anything, then we stay connected, Mm. but they go to sleep to themselves and don't want to cause any trouble, don't want to cause the conflict. So, you know, don't rock the boat, just go along to get along. So they really switch from being peacemakers to being peacekeepers. Just keep the peace. But that is a place of non-engagement for them. And the belief is, well, I don't really matter all that much anyway. So they just don't, don't assert themselves or learn not to or didn't think it really, that they really mattered. And so, um, and their, their, their passion is laziness or sloth or, or indolence. And it really is that they're, if you know nines, they usually are very busy, Mm -hmm. that they're doing kind of just distracted and doing whatever, you know, needs to be done or seems to be calling their attention. They can be distracted, but they don't know their own purpose or their own agenda. And that's why it was so impactful and huge for me for God to say, Marilyn, I'm calling you to do this. Like, really? I have like a focus 
And for a nine to get focus and clarity, then they're very productive. Mm. They go for it. But until that clarity and that focus is hard to come by because they really don't know what they want. And they're so wrapped up in everybody else's expectations that they have a hard time putting those voices to, to quiet so they can hear themselves. Um, so their laziness is really about their own lives, mm. their own inner life. Yeah. So when you talk about sloth, it isn't just, hey, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting on the couch all day eating potato chips or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, because I know I'm I'm picturing some of the nines I know in my life. And like you said, they're very busy people. Like they're very mm-hmm. like active people. Right. And and some of the people I would actually call out the least the least likely to be called, you know, lazy, actually. Right. Right. But I wouldn't mm-hmm. look at their life and say that's lazy. But that's interesting. And I think in the same way, just because I know the two motivation. Most people don't necessarily look at the outward sense of a two and say, oh, that's a really proud person right there. But right. only you know what your inner motivations are underneath and the that's surface. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Marilyn, yeah. I, I've heard with the nine, as wonderful as you said, that it's the most stubborn number on the Enneagram. Do you agree with that? Isn't that interesting? We are stubborn. <laughs> and, but no one would know that when I tell people the thing you most people wouldn't know about a nine is how stubborn they are. It's kind of holding on. There's this fear that, um, the messages they're receiving, like if they're dismissed or they're ignored, they fear that what is true is that they don't matter. Mm. Um, all of these, all of these types, our reactivity is often tapped into our deepest fear of something that might be true about us. So for the nine to feel like I don't really matter, I mean, that's I'm insignificant. Um, that's their deepest fear. And so anything that it communicates that. So it's like we're holding on really tight to this self that somebody that might disappear, that might not have a life. So the nines can go, oh, yeah, uh-huh, sure, I'll go along with that inside. They're going, mm, nope. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ignore it and not do it. So there is this stubborn fierceness inside. And as my husband say, it says, if you don't know that about a nine, you don't understand a nine, but not very many people see it. Good stuff. Um, so now that we finished the types, I think the length of time was very valuable because with people, I think it's very, it's well worth it to hear each type. And so let's, you know, as we kind of close up and think about this, mm-hmm. let's think about this. You know, you mentioned before, uh, the Enneagram used to be with a bunch of monks and, you know, I've heard before too, that they've said the monks would only tell you your type, but no one else's. Now it's like, it's like the Gutenberg Bible. Again, it's the Enneagram's not as important, but it's like, Everybody has it. And now, and so mm-hmm. I, I guess, you know, as you're kind of giving advice and direction, you know, if I don't know my number, if I don't know my type, you know, what should be my next step? And I didn't hear that question. Sure. It cut out. Yeah. Let me try it again. Sorry about that. Um, so the, the monks would say, um, only use your number. You don't need to know anyone else's. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about the desert fathers. So I'm wondering, Marilyn, would um, it 
what's the best way to discover my number? Should I read about it, take a test? What do you go to a workshop? What do you suggest? Good question. Um, and, you know, we are so prone to want to take a forced choice test and get a score. Mm. I mean, that's kind of our quantitative, you know, we want the definite answer. And those, I believe, you know, my bias is that those can be helpful, but they're not reliable. They're not the answer. And I have so many people come to me and say, well, I scored a 25 and a 23 and a 22 on these types. And, but I, you know, so which one am I? And I said, well, which one do you relate to? Which one tells your story? And so really you're the test. We are the test. Mm -hmm. Our life experience is the test. And it takes that that discipline it's you know not a very friendly word but it takes the work it takes the time to pause and notice yourself and pay attention so um tests can be helpful my favorite test is the essential enneagram test which is in it's actually in the back of my book this book but it's not going to be in the next one mm. for a I, I don't need to go into why that is, but <laughs> there is a book, a small book called the essential Enneagram book, and it's a narrative test. It's got nine paragraphs. So at least you read through those and you have to go, Oh, do I do that? Or do I not? Or do I feel that way? Or do I not? So there's some reflection, self-reflection involved and you pick the top three and then you learn about those and then decide Oh yeah, it might be your third choice that actually, no, that's really more like me. Mm. So I prefer that test, um, to the other test because it forces some self-reflection. Um, I think the other thing is to learn about the whole system. Um, that there's the centers of intelligence, the head, heart, and the gut and understanding those and going, okay, so which one of those do I lead with? I'm throwing new information in here, but and then um, there's the, the social styles or what they call stances that are ways of categorizing. So it's ways of um, just different ways of identifying what, you, what describes your life. And then you pick. And nobody else can pick it for you. And you can't pick somebody else's type either. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I, and, and the ability, I think, our, our temptation, or I've seen my temptation and maybe temptations of others too, is to kind of utilize the information that you get from this and kind of project it onto people. And I've heard yeah. people talk about quote unquote weaponizing the Enneagram. Um, that's a big no, no. Am I correct in that? Big no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You don't know a person because you know their Enneagram type. Mm. I hear people say that they'll be, you know, learning to know someone and they'll say, so what Enneagram type are you? Like, mm. oh, once I know that, I know you. Yeah. And it's just not true. And it is a misuse of the Enneagram to do that. And like Peter was saying, it used to be just an individual thing. Now it's this public thing. Yeah. And which is good. And my, you know, my senses and my encouragement, and this is how, what it's been for me is that knowing a person's type gives me compassion mm -hmm. for them and recognizing the suffering and the belief that is underlying that. It also helps me just accept them and, and look at them with a smile on my face and say, and call out the best 
parts of it say, mm-hmm. oh, you're the one that has this deep wisdom, not, oh, you're the one that stays in your office and studies all day. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your faithfulness. Or, oh, I'm so blessed by that. Mm. Um, to really champion and call out the image of God in each other um, and cheer that on. Yeah. Mm. And let, and I just say, we need to, we need to um, uh, express and appreciate the contributions that each person makes to our life. And it's their, it's their issue to deal with their challenges. Mm. Yeah. And have, However, reaching them and leading them. It's not our job to tell them, you know, or see their shadow and not appreciate it or be critical of it. Yeah. Wow. This has been so good, Marilyn. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And uh, we always happy to do it. Yeah. We always end our podcast with one question. And so we'll let you Uh answer last uh, because that's what we do here. All right. Um, Hold on. Are you going to change the question up? Because I, I was about to. You were going to change the question, Peter. You do that sometimes. It's kind of crazy. But, wow! Uh, wow! I, I will. I, I'm along for the ride. Let's go. Let's see. So what you're going I, to. I think Marilyn did a great job talking about how Jesus relates to this topic. Mm-hmm. So I thought for each of us to share how the Enneagram is challenging us to grow, how Jesus is using that to be personal. I thought that that would be a good way to end it. Marilyn, what do you think? I didn't hear that. Uh, Okay, we'll try that again. Um, I thought the best way to end the show would be to ask, how is Jesus changing us or maybe revealing things through the Enneagram on a personal level? Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right, so we'll go first. And then if we really mess it up, um, you can just kind of correct us in a very gentle way because we're twos. So. You know, we'll, well go. whatever is Jesus is doing in your life, I am not going to correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Um, you know, so I look at the Enneagram and when I first realized I was identifying as a two, I began to realize how often I have this bank account in my mind of I do something mm-hmm. nice for someone else. They need to take care of me. And, you know, Suzanne Stabile said this, and this has been just a mantra I have to remind myself. When I feel unappreciated, I go on strike. And Mm. I just, God has been revealing to me the pride, the anger, the frustration, even the shame of just feeling Mm. like, you know, I can see the patterns in my life that when I feel unappreciated, feel unwanted, feel like I don't belong. That's where it's bad. But, you know, at the best is the times that that I give or do something for someone else. And that's it. Nothing else. Matt. Like there's nothing extra. So that's where I've been challenged. I don't know. John, you want to share? Yeah, I mean, that's so good. I can see those things in my own life. Uh, I think we have some similarities there. Uh, But I think also for me, one of the things that I realize is my tendency to base what I'm doing on what other people expect of me or or would want of me or would um, they really, this will make other people happy. 
rather than just centering on what is God asking me to do and doing mm-hmm. that boldly and doing that without, with, with regard of if it gets recognized, it doesn't get recognized. Just what am I being asked to do in this moment? What does it like, mm-hmm. look like to live out of who I am, not the expectations of those around me and uh, live out of that? I think that's been one of the biggest growth areas for me has been really leaning into that and and internalizing that that I need to take some steps forward with that. And I think so. The Enneagram for me, that's when one of the biggest uh, journeys as of the last, I don't know, year or two that I've been going through. What do you think, Marilyn? What do I think? Uh, For me as a nine, um, you know, I can get so um, concerned with the expectations of others Mm. and whether they're spoken or I perceive them or I just don't, I wonder what they are. And so this work that God brought, you know, brought to me and called me to do, I'm put on the spot a lot, to, or I do workshops, I do podcasts, <laughs> and I have to go through this um, process of releasing the expectations of the other people before mm-hmm. I present, because I can get so wrapped up, if, like say I have a workshop of 100 people coming, I'm thinking, what do all these hundred people expect? Why are they coming? Why did they pay their money? Why did they take their time? What do they expect? Am I going to deliver? Well, how could I possibly know that? Mm. And so I have to just release all of that and say, God, what do you want me to say today? What is the message you want me to give today for these people? And then just let it go. Mm. Like, I don't have any control of what that means to anyone else. Um, so that's been a really freeing place to be. And it, my responsibility is just to hear the message God wants me to give and to deliver it in the best way that I can. The rest is God's work. And I can't, I can't get wrapped up and I can't leave the thing going, Oh, is that what they expected? Is that what Peter and John wanted today? I don't know. Did I meet their expectations? Um, and just trust that. God well, you exceeded whatever. them. You exceeded them today. What? I did, you did exceeded I, them, did yes. I live up to the yeah, and so. then some. It was so <laughs> okay. good to have you on this podcast. Holy cow! Thank you for sharing your wisdom with well, us. And I with would our like to share what I would have answered if you said, "What does Jesus think about this?" I, yeah. Uh, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do right? it. Go right ahead. Yeah. I, okay. So the, the scripture that has been really uh, resonating, and I've been aware of lately, is when Je- this is what Jesus said to his people to is come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. And I think of carrying the heavy burden around of our old self, Mm. of our false beliefs, of our avoidances, of our pain, of our wounds. I mean, that is a heavy burden. All the perceptions, all the distortions that Jesus just says, come to me and I will give you rest, rest for your soul. And that Jesus just says, you know, just, this is a great way of getting in touch with our heavy burden, but let it go and come to me. So that's what Jesus would say. Or Jesus did say, uh, he's saying to me, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. Wow. It's a big deal. You know what? That That's quite a place to, to close it up. You know, before we even talk anymore, I, I'd say you know, we're not going to split this into two episodes. I feel like this is a great episode It'll take you a while to listen to, but listen to it with your friends, listen to it with your family, 
And I think it's just a discussion starter. So like what Marilyn said, this is not about putting you in a box. It's, I've heard it said this way, it's helping you get out of your box. And I, I think, you know, there's probably conversations that people want to have with you. This is a great way to do that. So we hope you, you stick through this. This is a great teaching. This was a little bit more just because of our topic. And we, you know, you had one of the best people describe not only, you know, I'm so glad we didn't just stick with the evil side of the Enneagram, but talked about how God brought it through. So in closing, don't forget, we are whygodwhypodcast.com. Make sure you review us on iTunes, share about us, be looking out for Marilyn's book uh, from Random House. We are so glad that you enjoyed it, uh, had some fun with us today. And we hope most of all that this helped you uh, understand and see Jesus in a different way. Have a great day. 